You don't have to hire somebody in your expensive New York City or Las Vegas or Los Angeles or London, wherever you're based. You don't have to hire somebody in that office anymore. You can hire somebody from all over the world to get the job done. And that to me is this really, really exciting, empowering uh, new world that we live in. Alibaba.com e-commerce Academy is the official podcast from the Alibaba.com team. Each week on the show, we bring you conversations with industry leading experts who are using Alibaba.com to build and scale their businesses. These conversations help you explore opportunities through digital global sourcing amidst changing times and find diversified winning products and leading suppliers on Alibaba.com. Subscribe and be sure to check back for regular episodes. All right, and we are live. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Jackness. Welcome to this edition of the Alibaba.com e-commerce Academy podcast. This is our first live stream doing this. It's it's a little bit of extra pressure. I, I'm I'm a little nervous here, Dave. I mean, usually it's you have the comfort of knowing that if you make a mistake that you can always hit stop and redo it. I've done over 500 podcasts and I think I've only had a pause like three of them. And so it happens very rarely, but usually you have that that safety net. But we're, we're here live. We're, we're going to see how this goes. Welcome to everyone that's that's joining us today. Again, my name is Mike Jackness. I am a guest host here at the Alibaba.com e-commerce academy podcast. Been doing this now for a couple of seasons with them and really enjoying it. You can also find me over at Ecom Crew, where we've done almost 500 episodes about e-commerce over there, following our journey on e-commerce. Uh, the coolest thing about doing these podcasts and just being a, a player in the industry is being able to host a podcast like this and talk to someone like Dave. I am so excited to chat with you today, Dave. It's cool to have you here. Before we get too deep into it, for those that are watching or listening later, maybe just take a couple of minutes to introduce yourself and tell people who you are so they, they know who, who Dave is. Sure. Thanks again for having me. And I agree. It's a little scary, but <laughs> really exciting. Live, live, live TV, live Interviews are also really exciting because you never know what's going to happen. I am Dave Kirpin. I'm a serial entrepreneur and New York Times bestselling author of four books. Just got my deal for my fifth book that comes out next year. I like to start and build companies and then write about my experiences. So we sold, my wife and I sold a marketing firm last year called Likeable. Right now, my main focus is a marketplace called chooseapprentice.com where we connect entrepreneurs and small business owners with the world's best and brightest uh, college talent to help them grow their, their businesses. So I'm excited to chat with you today about all things e-commerce, sourcing, Alibaba.com. Excellent, excellent. So you say you're a self-identified serial entrepreneur, they wear that title as well. What do you define that as? Everyone kind of thinks about that a little bit differently. What, what's a serial entrepreneur in your mind? Well, it's funny because I felt like a, I felt like I was an imposter as a serial entrepreneur with that title <laughs> until I sold my first company. Once I sold my first company, we had a wonderful exit that I'm very proud of. Now I feel like I'm, I'm no longer an imposter. But that said, I think entrepreneurs in general look for problems and try to figure out how to solve them and solve them at scale and build organizations that change the world, help a lot of people, employ people. And I think serial entrepreneurs are folks that just can't get enough of it. So we do it over and over and over again. I'm on business six or seven, depending on how you define things. Yeah. And it's funny, we had our, our financial advisor sat down with us and had did it, did a whole plan based on retirement age about sort of finances and our goals and all these things. And you know, my wife said she wanted to retire at age 55. And they insisted that I put an age in there. So I put 95. <laughs> 
just because they needed a number. But I don't want to stop. I want to keep starting and building businesses until the day I croak. Yeah, I, uh, there's a lot of similarities there. One of the things I've been thinking a lot about lately is, do I really want to do this to, to the day I croak? Or is it just the thing that I'm addicted to? And maybe I should be doing something different at some point. Is there some other chapter in my life? And I've talked to a lot of friends about this. And you know, they've said something similar to you, like, you'll never actually quit. You'll retire. And within six, nine, 12, whatever months, you'll be back at something else, which is is probably true. But I like to think that there there's something else out there for me. I think there are different versions of it, right? So for me, there's public service potentially impacting folks at scale. There's continuing to write books, make speeches. Another thing that I've thought a lot about is building and scaling nonprofits that can impact the world. Mm-hmm. As well. so, but I think ultimately... When you have that gene, that defect, that bug, <laughs> as you and I do, Mike, one way or the other, you're going to be working on building stuff for lots of people. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned you, you've written a few books. What are, what are the books? What are the titles? What are they about? Are they, I'm curious if they're all similar about the same kind of thing or if they're about a bunch of different subjects. Sure. So my first book was called Likeable Social Media, and it was the very beginning of the social media age and really about how businesses can build brands and delight their customers using social media. That's probably still the best selling of the books, 13 languages, three editions. Wow. Um, really, really Congratulations. Well. Very Thank cool. You. Thank you. I think we have somewhere behind me, the uh, New York, when, they, when we hit the New York Times bestseller list, the publisher sent me a framed copy. And then I realized that a lot of what I wrote about in terms of principles of great social media, things like authenticity and transparency and listening. They weren't just principles of great social media. They were principles of great business and great leadership, respectively. So my next two books were called Likeable Business and Likeable Leadership, respectively, extending the principles to more. And then most recently, The Art of People, 11 Simple People Skills That Will Get You Everything You Want, talks all about the power of people skills, not only in business, but in life, in relationships of all of all shapes and sizes. And then my next book that we just signed a deal for is called Get Over Yourself. Mm-hmm. It's come out next year and that's all about delegation. I think the biggest difference between a good business owner and a great one is their ability to delegate well. And I just see time and time again, entrepreneurs and small business owners that struggle with delegation, either they become micromanagers, control freaks that need it done a very, very specific way and only they can get it done, or they give it away, but they don't give the proper guidance and support to the folks that that they're managing. And so my goal with the next book is to help small business owners and entrepreneurs and leaders of all shapes and sizes become better delegators. Yeah, that sounds awesome. I've been fortunate that this is one of these things, I mean, after 18 years of being a business, I, I have been able to figure out it can be just as addictive as being an entrepreneur when you delegate properly and you see the ability to multiply yourself through other people. But also, and one of the things I'd love to chat with you a little bit about here, if someone were to ask me the question of what is the single hardest thing about running a business, it's always the people. It's so difficult when you start to assemble a larger and larger team, keeping everybody happy all the time. And they're all looking to you, right? You don't get to talk about your problems with them. They all want to talk about their problems to you. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, one of the things you kind of sign up for is being a bartender and having to listen to all their problems and also deal with their changing lives. I mean, everyone goes through this individually where you you might be 21 and have one set of goals and aspirations. And by 25 or whatever, you might have another set and they want to move on and you have to deal with these things and, and be able to promote people and create things that might not even exist in your company. So maybe we can chat just a little bit about that for a few minutes. 
Yeah, sure. I think having the right people is everything. Like you said, no matter what business you're in, whether you're selling services or selling products, whether you're selling offline or selling online, if you're going to build something bigger than you, and it's only so much a solopreneur can do, if you're going to build something bigger than you, it's going to take a lot of other people to do it. And so I think a big, big part of my job as an entrepreneur, as a CEO, is putting the right people in the right seats and figuring out how to get the right talent and keep the right talent. Very, very important. We always interview for core values. So every one of my companies has extremely defined core values. I think that's often skipped over, but really important along the way. So for instance, at Apprentice, our core values are bi-directional mentorship. Everyone is both a student and a teacher. Grit, there's always a way through. And keeping these core values and testing for these core values is super, super. Oh, and excuse me, the third core value is being enterprising. So always finding the positives, always finding the opportunities. So bi-directional mentorship, grit, and being enterprising. So looking for those things in our employees, specifically for Choose Apprentice. But in any business, what I look for in great talent is intelligence and coachability. People don't need to know the answers now. Yeah. Need to be able to be coached once they make their first mistake. And we all make mistakes. I've made mistakes over and over and over again. So it's not a matter of avoiding mistakes. It's a matter of finding people that when they make the the mistakes, they're open to hearing, to understanding, to improving, and to being coached into greatness. And if I can find somebody like that, who's smart and coachable and fits my core values, wow, the sky's the limit. Yeah, definitely great advice. You know, I I learned this from the book Traction, which I'm a big fan of. They talk about developing core values in the beginning of the book. And I'll share mine as well, just for the audience to kind of have, you know, just to kind of see what other people have put together here. But just real quick before I read them, you know, the thing that I really realized as I went through this exercise is this stuff was like always in my head and it was like popcorn kind of, or ping pong balls, like just going all around. They kind of changed from time to time. And I kind of knew what they were, but never really communicated them to my staff and made sure that they understood what it was that, that we believed in as a company. And also, as you mentioned, when you go through the hiring process, we discussed it then as well and make sure that these are things that people align with because you're never going to find an employee 100% aligns with every single skill set that you need. As you said, coachability is so important. And so these core values are something that we discuss quite often and I'll run through. I, I have seven, so there's a few more than yours, but we always put people first. You know, I'm a big people person. It's always people over money or anything else. We, we always try to think about people, whether that's you know, employees or customers. We only develop amazing products and we're an e-commerce company and you, know, you can go out and just find something off the shelf and slap your name on it and have it not be very inspiring or better than anything else out there. And so we really want to ensure that we're developing the best possible products and doing everything we can, all the details there. We treat others the way that we want to be treated. You know, it's never fun when, you know, someone does something mean or nasty to you. And so we try not to do those things to others. We're leaders, not followers. We try to set the bar. I mean, we just don't want to be following everybody else around blindly (laughs) or out there. We get things done and we want to make sure people understand that we're here to work. But one of the other ones is we have fun. We try to have a good time at work. And the last one here is we always try new things. I think a lot of people get scared to try something new uh, and innovate. And it's interesting when I'm around speaking, things that have been around for three to five years, technology-wise, people still haven't tried it yet because they're afraid of it. And so we want to be the people that are adopting the new technologies first, because I think that there is a market mover edge that you get when you're the first one out there. Sure. 
One thing that helped me to select the publisher that I went with for Get Over Yourself is Ben Bella. They're the same publisher that did Attraction and Gino's book. Oh, nice. Uh, I've been lucky enough to interview Gino. He's a cool dude and I owe a lot of my success to him. Awesome. So one of the things that you were talking about, you know, coaching from the entrepreneurial's point of view, this was a struggle that I had. I wish I knew you when I was younger, I I can tell you, because like you're a solopreneur, but you're hired your first or second employee. I didn't have time for this stuff. I didn't know where to look. I wasn't thinking about it. I was just kind of scrapping along every day and really could have used some help, you know, developing my skills. It probably took five years longer than it should have looking back at it and made a lot of mistakes along the way. What do you have for advice for people on that stage? I have a feeling that there's a lot of either solopreneurs in the audience or people that are you have one to three employees, they're doing, you know, one to you know, a couple million dollars a year or whatever, or, or less, and don't know where to turn to, don't know how to, how to even get out of their own way to do it. Yeah. Well, so I, I'll give you two sort of separate answers to that. First, I'll say that probably my the favorite advice that I've ever been given is hire slow, fire fast. Mm-hmm. And I would say that either hire slow, fire fast, or depending on how bold you are, hire fast fire fast also can work very well. What doesn't work and what happens all too often is the opposite. It's higher, fast, fire, slow. We get very attached to the people we hire. And because of this powerful psychological principle called cognitive dissonance, we don't want to believe that we've made a mistake in hiring someone. (laughs) We we trick ourselves. We, we go through ourselves <laughs> over and over and over again. Maybe I haven't done this right. Or maybe if I move this person to this position, maybe it'll work out. Or maybe I haven't given them enough chance over and over and over again. And I've seen entrepreneurs go literally years with somebody that they know in their gut isn't the right fit for their company. Years. Well, that's no good. And by the way, you're not doing them any favors either, keeping them captive in a position in a company that's not right for them. So the faster and the better you can get at letting people move on when it's not a good fit, which might you might know right away. You might know on day one. One thing that uh, the late, uh, great Tony Shea, a fellow Vegas entrepreneur, did at Zappos, which was wonderful, is he offered employees $3,000 to quit. You want to quit within the first three months? I'll give you three grand. See ya. And what that did was it, it helped to weed out people that weren't a good fit. It self-selected people out. And you know what? Yeah, it cost him three grand per employee, but how much more would it have cost him to keep unhappy, unfulfilled, unproductive employees for months more or maybe years more? The second thing I want to say is that, and this is a little bit self-serving, admittedly, because of our firm. Hmm. You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was either hire people or not. And now the new world of work that we live in is a world where there are nearly infinite solutions to a problem. So you can hire full-time, and that's an amazing, no, don't get me wrong, I love building companies and hiring people full-time. But if you're nervous about that, you're not ready for that, if you're not ready to fill a position with a full-time employee with health benefits, et cetera, you can turn to folks like Choose Apprentice, or Upwork, or Fiverr, or Belay, or there's so many contractors now and marketplaces that connect you with contractors that can help you get the job done at a much, much lower risk. So there are some folks who want to build their companies with full-time employees in the office, 
There are others that want remote people, part-time people, vendors, contractors, agencies, consultants, and freelancers. And there's so many places to find great people now that to me, a full-time employee is a great solution for building a brand, building a company, but there's so many other interesting and potentially viable solutions for folks out there as well. Yeah, that's definitely great advice. And it gives you the ability to hire people part-time in a bunch of different disciplines, right? I mean, I think the old world 10 years ago, if you wanted a, a graphic designer, you had to hire a full-time graphic designer. If you're still in that solopreneur phase, you might not be able to afford the $70,000 a year for a graphic designer, but you can afford $7,000 a year to have one working a couple hours a week, you know, helping you out with things. And you can hire another person that helps you with your bookkeeping and another person that helps you, you know, do customer service or whatever it might be and, and not have to bring on people in these full-time roles and really can make you bat above your weight because you now have people in these, in these disciplines that, that you can actually afford that aren't bankrupting your company while you're, while you're bringing them on. Exactly. And the, the pandemic uh, obviously have disrupted many things. But one thing that I think it did is accelerated the pace of change around how work is done and where work is done and who does the work. And so, you know, today there are companies growing every single day out of a hybrid environment, a remote environment, a freelancer environment, etc. What we do with Apprentice quite simply is we take great, great talent that's going to be that's at Harvard and Cornell and Wharton and Brown right now. They're going to be earning $200,000 a year in a couple of years, working for McKinsey and Deloitte and EY and all these companies that most small businesses can't afford to hire. You won't be able to afford to hire this talent in a year or two, but you can hire them right now today because they have to be college students, the same exact talent. How many amazing people are out there, whether they're college students or freelancers, they could be anywhere in the world, right? You don't have to hire somebody in your expensive New York City or Las Vegas or Los Angeles or London or wherever you're based. You don't have to hire somebody in that office anymore. You can hire somebody from all over the world to get the job done. And that to me is this really, really exciting, empowering uh, new world that we live in. Yeah, absolutely. Is finding the perfect supplier taking way too long? Let qualified suppliers come to you instead. With the request for quotation feature on Alibaba.com, simply post your product requirements online and receive up to 10 supplier responses in as little as 12 hours. The request for quotation feature makes your sourcing process more effective so you can better focus on growing your business. Learn more about the request for quotation feature and other great tips at buyer.alibaba.com. So I'm going to go back and revisit one of the things you talked about here a few minutes ago, because it's just, at least in my experience, been so freaking important, which is the whole like, Hire slow, fire fast concept. If I had to think about the single worst task that I have to do as a CEO, I think it's firing somebody. It's it's the thing I just you know even all these years later, it never gets easier. Like it just yeah. And it's interesting you mentioned that you make a bunch of excuses. My, my excuses are different than the ones you laid out. It's I have no problem admitting that I made a mistake. I I got you know I don't really have a big ego. Like I I screwed up. That person's horrible. But I make excuses of like, oh, it's a single mom, and like, you know, you know, they they always tell you their sob stories, right? You know, the issues are like they just broke their leg and they got medical bills or something, or you know, whatever, whatever it is. And most people, you know, live paycheck to paycheck, and so it's never a great experience. You know, we always try to give a severance, no matter what. I love the the thing you talked about with Tony, you know, giving people three grand, let them make the decision. It takes the decision off your plate. 
you know, without being heartless, like the movie Up in the Air, I'm not sure if you ever saw that, where they like <laughs> just go fire people and it's just like whatever. You know, what are some ways to get people to feel better about themselves through this process and, you know, make it not so bad? It'll be hard for me to successfully convey my sincerity and how important sincerity is when doing this in a minute or so right now. But I want to just open with a caveat that when I let somebody go, I truly, sincerely believe that it is best for them. And of course, I know it's best for the company, but I think the important thing for me to do, this gets back to the heart of communications and what I write about in The Art of People is take my own hat off, put on the other person's hat. And instead of thinking like, oh my goodness, this person just broke their leg, they need a job, I think this person is a special person with some great talents and skills that don't match up with what I need at this company right now. But I don't want to hold them back anymore. I want to help them get to their destiny, which will be better for them in the long run. And I truly believe that and I communicate that. And by the way, I offer sincerely my help with whatever is next for them. I offer sincerely, if I believed in them at one point enough to make an offer, then I believe in them enough to say to them, look up my LinkedIn network, let me know who I can introduce you to. I will give you a reference. I will give you a referral. I will help you if you are interested. People really, they've responded to that and it's worked very well. And by the way, sometimes people end up coming back and sometimes right. they end up coming back to work for me, but sometimes they end up referring business to me. Sometimes they end up making intros for me. It's been, I, I had a former employee who introduced me to an investor that, that wrote a check for me for $600,000. I mean, if I had let her go in a cruel, cold way, you think she would have done that? Heck yeah. no. But by letting people go with real humanity and care about their future, you know, it opens up opportunities. And the world is smaller than ever before. The world is small and life is long. And that's really how I look at these sorts of things. So this is not a fit for you right now. We're moving on. Very decisive about that. But here's the good news. I'm here to help. Life is long. We will have opportunities together in the future. And, and frankly, of, of course, there is the occasional person that is too angry or upset to be able to sort of process that all in the situation. But yeah. the vast majority, Mike, maybe 95% of people really are quite responsive to that. And in the long run, it's helped me build some really great relationships. Yeah, definitely. One of the things you didn't really get into is a way to make it easier. And I think at the end of the day, it just never does get any easier for yourself. I mean, I, I kind of think of it like, you know, I was a little kid jumping off the, the high dive, you know, you like walk up to the edge and you just like, it's so scary to like jump off and like similar to like to fire somebody. The thing that's made me just do it, you know, the whole like higher, slow, fire, fast thing is after being in business for 18 years and just really understanding how time and you know, magnification works, you know, in terms of building a bigger and better business. So for every month that you let this person stay on, the right person's not in that job. And you're, you're spending money for a bad employee that isn't. So it's like a double edged sword. You know, let's say it's a $5,000 a month employee. So you're, you're throwing 5,000 bucks away, $60,000 a year, plus all the benefits and everything else. You could be using that money to do something that's going to improve your business. And that builds upon itself. Then you know, that $60,000 is magnified over 10 years is 
couple of million dollars. You know, you're just, you're really throwing it away. And again, plus the work that they can and should be doing if they were doing a good job. And if they're doing a good job, that helps your business grow quicker, allows you to hire the next person faster. And so it, all of this continues to grow. There, there's a, a great like meme or picture out there that the domino is like the small little domino, like by the eighth domino, it's like the size of a door or whatever, because inertia really plays a big factor in it. And so if you think about those things, how much you're really, really costing yourself by being a, a chicken and not doing the right thing, it, it might make it easier. Absolutely. And again, you're not doing the person a favor. You might think you're doing them a favor by keeping them employed, but you are absolutely not right. doing them a favor. You are holding them back from fulfilling what is a better fit and their and better destiny for them. You are costing them with every single month that you're costing them from getting closer to what it is they should be doing with their lives. You have to look at it that way. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the other things that I that I brought up earlier, a lot of people seem to be reluctant or scared or whatever to to jump in the in, in the new technologies and you know, things of that nature. Yeah, I've I've been fortunate that that's my background. And so that's my superpower is just is, is the tech, the tech world. I have a lot of other shortcomings, don't get me wrong. But uh, what are some some suggestions for people out there that are, you know, just afraid of the tech? I think it's a generational thing, first of all. The reality yeah. is that and change is hard for everyone, just about everyone. We're not really why and the older we get, the harder it is to change. So no matter what generation we're from, we end up getting to the point where there's new technologies that we don't understand at first. Now, I was very fortunate to be very, very early on in, in the world of social media. And boy, oh boy, you know, I, I consulted entrepreneur and CEO after CEO on what they saw is as a super scary world of bi-directional media and, and, you know, Facebook. And it's almost laughable, right? Now, 10 years later, because pretty much the, now Facebook is old stuff. But back then, there were so many folks that were so scared. And like any fear, we can either avoid it, we can run in the corner, we can pretend it doesn't exist, or we can have courage. Courage is, by definition, accepting that we're afraid, in this case, afraid of whatever the new technology is, fill it in the, fill in the blank, uh, cryptocurrency, AI, you know, fill in the blank, right? Because there's always going to be new stuff. And give it a shot. Give it a shot. That's what courage is. And, you know, do a free trial. Hire somebody that understands it better than you do. Wade into that water just a little bit before di diving in head first. Wade in a little bit. And the remarkable thing is when we do that, great things end up happening. It's when we're too scared and we're in denial about the change. We're in denial about the new technology. We're in denial about the need to embrace stuff that we end up falling behind sort of by definition. But when we, when we have the courage to take a shot, to, to learn something new, to try something new, it often actually works out pretty darn well. Yeah, and the way that I always think about this, you know, you mentioned everyone kind of is scared of change, doesn't like change. I, I'm a, a special animal. I actually think of it in the exact opposite way. I love when things change because I know everybody else is exactly what you just described. And so it gives me an opportunity to act fast and take advantage of them for, for not reacting quickly, right? And so, yeah, it's a pain in the rear end. And I will admit one thing that's something I'm having to come to terms with, as I get older, it does get harder. You know, when I was in my 20s, 
I thrived on this stuff. It was like a drug. I'm in my mid forties and I'm just like, Oh crap. Like I, I know I got to do this. Like, so I'm not like, you know, dragging my feet, but I just don't have the same desire to, to learn that I, that I once did. It doesn't come as easily. You know, it felt like I didn't even have to try when I was a kid. It just came naturally, but now, you know, it's, I have to kind of work at it and it's a struggle and I still embrace the change because of what I just mentioned, but it, it does get old. It, get, it does get harder as you get older. And something we all have to come to terms with that everyone gets older and, and things, you know, it's, and it's just going to get harder from here. That's the other thing I've realized. It's just like, it's today's the best it's ever going to be. <laughs> it's just gonna, it's just going to continue to get worse from here. Yeah, no, it's, um, it's true. And um, I mean, my secret, if I have any uh, on this is surrounding myself with young people, you know, the average yes. age is 21. Um, Let them do know, it. <laughs> I, I surround myself with people that that are courageous and for whom change feels less. Well, I, I think a lot less scary. But there's no real easy answer on this. Change is hard, and fear is very hard. This is a complete non sequitur. But I see the dog behind you, and I I recently had a major, major life change regarding regarding a fear that I that I wrote about online. My I've been afraid of dogs since I was five years old, Mike. So I was bit when on my fifth birthday, and I been terrified of dogs and yeah. you know as I got older you know everyone said their dog would change me but I didn't <laughs> really work right and then then I had kids and my daughters really wanted a dog they begged me for a dog I said it'll never happen you know my wife and I agreed that why bother you know I, this fear is so deep and so then I my youngest kid started playing little league baseball this year and um and he was a great pitcher but a little a little afraid of stepping up to the plate he got hit by a couple pitches early on and he, he was really scared up up at the plate so my older girls, they said to me a few weeks ago, they said, Dad, if Seth hits a home run in one of the final three games, will you get a dog? And I'm sitting there like, you know, he ha he's only had one hit all year. It was a single. <laughs> we, only three, we only have three games left. There's no way he'll do it. I could, I could look like a hero with zero risk here. So I said, sure, I'll do it. Lo and behold, Mike, next game, last Ooh. game of the season, that. <laughs> Home run. <laughs> and now I'm getting a puppy. And the reason I bring it up is, and I'm still scared, but I'm doing it. And to me, this is the utter, this is the essence of courage and the ability to accept change, right? I'm 45 years old. I've been terrified for 40 years. But guess what? We're getting a dog. I'm going to get over it. I'm going to get through it. And that's going to be okay. And the lesson that I'm going to set for my kids is fear is okay, but courage is better and the ability to step up and go for things. So again, sorry I digress, but let me relate no, it back to all y'all listening. There is scary, scary stuff out there. There's scary technology, there's scary growth, there's scary change, scary investments. I get it, it's terrifying. And you can either let that fear paralyze you, or you can say, you know what? I'm gonna give it a shot. I'm gonna summon up the courage. I know I'm afraid, that's okay. Don't ever deny fear. I hate the word fearless. Hate the word fearless. No one's fearless. I'm not fearless. I'm terrified still. But guess what? <laughs> I'm terrified plus I've had the courage. So you can summon up that courage to go for it, take a chance. And let me tell you, fortune favors the bold in business and in life. Fortune favors the bold. Yeah, absolutely. I want to completely switch gears here because I love this conversation. I feel like I'm being selfish. I'm just talking about a bunch of stuff that I, I'm really enjoying here. But it is the Alibaba.com podcast. And I I love to spend the last few minutes just talking about sourcing and how all this can apply to that. Obviously, you know, selecting vendors and and products and all this are, are major decisions that all of us entrepreneurs have to make. 
and you talk about fear, a lot of people have fear placing those first orders and working with people in, in jurisdictions they might not have ever worked with before and things of that nature. So, and again, I, I want to be respectful of your time. I know we're, we're running up against a hard stop. So let's spend the last, the last few minutes chatting about that if we could. Yeah, of course. You know, I, I think a lot of people are tempted when making sourcing decisions and making decisions on vendors. They're tempted to go with price. And I think that's a big mistake. Yeah. I think that at the end of the day, partnerships and vendors, it's a lot like marriage. And you wouldn't get married to somebody that, you know, was like making the most money or you're going to have to spend the least money on. You get married to the person that you trust the most. And so when making key decisions about a vendors and sourcing, you know, they got to be in the ballpark when it comes to price. I get that. But for me, it's all about trust. It's about talking to references. One, one hack I like is instead of asking for references, go to their website, find their customers, see their customers that they're advertising and call their customers and get a direct reference from their customers. What do you think of them? How great were they to work with? How responsive were they? That's where you find out the real answers to how well you can trust them. And in the long run, that trust, again, things are going to go wrong. I promise you. My, my, uh, I had a consultant that, um, when I first company, he said, the one thing I guarantee you is all, you'll lose all your clients eventually. I said, lose all my clients. I'm not going to lose any of my clients. Everyone loves me. Lo and behold, you know, years and years later, the clients, we lost clients. This happened. So there are going to be mistakes. When there are mistakes, who do you want to be in business with? Who do you want to be in bed with? The one that's going to, it's going to, they were cheap. They were cheap to begin with. So they're going to cut costs around the mistakes or the ones that you can trust to problem solve and work with you to rectify things. I would choose the latter every time. Yeah. And this is such good advice. I mean, I don't know why this doesn't get discussed more often, but people get blinders to that, that quote, right? The price, but there's all these extrinsic things you have to be thinking about, like, are they going to deliver on time? Is the quality going to be good? When you need to reorder, are they going to be there for you? Are they going to raise the price on the second order? What other you know types of games are they going to have? Like when the product shows up, is the quality, is there a problem with it? And you're having to like deal with bad customer reviews and other things. You know, the, the cost of raw materials, the cost of raw materials, cost of labor is cost of labor. If someone's 50% cheaper than the other guy, and, and they're the outlier at that price, there's probably something wrong, right? They're either making no money or losing money because they think you're so special that they're going to lose money and work for free just for you, or they're cutting some corners that, that you're not thinking about and you're being very short-sighted and incredibly good advice. And again, I, I don't know why this doesn't come up more often. It's the first time I've really heard someone even mention this in a long time. And Man, I just, I can't implore people enough to be thinking about all the other factors. That's right. And it's really, it's short-term thinking versus long-term thinking, right? Yeah. Um, I, I would, you, I could make a hundred bucks now, or I could make 50 bucks now, and then 50 bucks a month from now, and then 50 bucks a month from now, and then 50 right. bucks a month from now. Why in the world, who in the world would knowingly choose make the hundred bucks now? Nobody. But when it's presented that way, when we're simply making a spreadsheet and looking at income and expenses, and we're thinking too myopically that way, we often end up making that mistake. So it's absolutely all about the long-term, about building a brand that people trust, about building relationships that you can trust on, that you can rely on. I was very, very fortunate. My first brand I built was literally called Likeable. And 
uh, building a company and writing all books with the word likable, I guess I had no choice. I literally had to build a brand that could stand for likability. But regardless of your company, regardless of what it is that you do, what is it, what it is that you sell, I can promise you this. You may or may not die as the CEO of this company. You are going to die as you, your name. Think about your reputation long-term when you make these decisions, even about a vendor. And when you check in with your gut, consider making a couple less pennies on the dollar for standing for something and building that reputation because your reputation, your name is going to be with you for the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Man, it's been awesome chatting with you. Again, I want to respect your time. I know we, we have a kind of a hard stop here. Before we run, if people are interested in reaching out to you and learning more about what you do or getting some more advice from you, what's the best way for them to, to find you? Many ways. Responsiveness is one of my personal core values. I actually host office hours every single Thursday at this time. For folks that want to reach me, they can go to scheduledave.com and it's free office hours. I chat with anyone on the planet that wants to chat with me. That's scheduledave.com. Of course, chooseapprentice.com if you want to learn more about that business. And then uh, lots of books, your choice. The best book objectively that nobody's read because it has a bad cover and everyone judges a book by its cover is Likeable <laughs> Business. Best reviews, worst sales. Check out Likeable Business. But seriously, if anyone has any questions, uh, wants to chat more, I'm delighted. That my favorite thing in the world is to help entrepreneurs grow and to mentor and coach entrepreneurs for free, scheduledave.com. And thank you again so much, Mike, to you for having me and to the great folks at Alibaba.com for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Thank you to everybody who's been listening to us live and who's listening later as well. We appreciate all of you listening. It means the world to us. And until the next one, we'll talk to you then. Be good, everybody. Alibaba.com e-commerce Academy is the official podcast from the Alibaba.com team. Each week on the show, we bring you conversations with industry leading experts who are using Alibaba.com to build and scale their businesses. These conversations help you explore opportunities through digital global sourcing amidst changing times and find diversified winning products and leading suppliers on Alibaba.com. Subscribe and be sure to check back for regular episodes.